0: Hello and welcome to Community Matters, a podcast from the Canadian Association of Community Health Centres. I'm your host, Hilary LeBlanc. In this episode of the podcast, we continue to explore the impact of the COVID 19 pandemic and how the community health centres have stepped up in response. I visit with the staff of Black Creek Community Health Centre in Toronto to learn how their CHC has adapted to meet the care and support needs of some of the city's most impacted residents, including rollout of vaccines. Black Creek Community Health Centre provides a wide range of health and social services geared to the diverse needs of individuals, families and groups living in the northwest regions of of the Toronto. Black Creek CHC envisions a healthy, resilient, and empowered community where people are connected and support each other. Today, I am speaking with Cheryl Prescott, Executive Director of the CHC, and Michelle Weston, Senior Analyst, Planning, Quality, and Risk. Thank you both for being here today.
1: Thanks, Hilary. Great to be here. Thanks, Hilary. I wanted to
0: start off uh, first with Cheryl. Um, If you could tell me a little bit about the Black Creek Community Health Center, some of the main aspects of your organization, the communities you serve, and the services and programs you provide.
1: Okay. Wonderful. So really happy to be here to share um, the story of our CHC here that's located in the northwest corner of Toronto. So we were incorporated in 1989 as a non-for-profit and like other CHCs in Canada, we're governed by a community board, uh, members of whom live and work within our geographic catchment. Uh, Through our board and our local service partners and our service recipients, our clients, we have a very strong and deep connection to our community. Um, We have various uh, service locations, where our offerings include a suite of multidisciplinary primary health care services such as the prevention and treatment of common illnesses and chronic diseases such as uh, diabetes and COPD. We offer referrals to and coordination as well as navigation with other levels of care such as with our hospital um, and specialists. Uh, uh, We offer a variety of mental health and addiction services, health promotion services, child and maternal health services, among others and all of these are delivered in a coordinated and integrated way. Um, We also have having a deep understanding of how the social determinants of health impacts overall health. We work with multiple partners in our community to address these uh, determinants of health by connecting our clients and our community members to services in other sectors such as housing, legal services, youth services, food um, issues to uh, services to address food insecurity, as well as education. Um, And Michelle will go into a little bit more about the specifics of the community, the demographics of the community we serve. But it's really important to know that the population that we do serve um, is one of the most diverse in the city and perhaps in Canada. And many of these individuals face significant barriers due to their income status, their ethnic origin, immigration status, or other factors. So in addition to our direct service provision, much of our work is centered on community development as well, specifically advocating and building community capacity to address the structural and systemic barriers that tend to lead to marginalization of these population groups. Um, so we do a lot of work on anti-poverty, anti race Because these are issues we feel very um, passionately about, and we know that they're issues that significantly impact health outcomes within these um, population groups. So I'll turn it over to Michelle to talk a little bit more about the specific population within our catchment area.
2: Thanks, Cheryl. So, as Cheryl mentioned, um, we're located in the northwest uh, part of Toronto. Um, You know, our community stands out in a number of different ways. as many community health centers, you know, we really focus on serving populations that are um, facing both systemic um, as well as other uh, barriers when it comes to accessing health care. Um, our community stands out in many ways um, as compared to the rest of the city of Toronto. So, for instance, um, it's been shown that, you know, folks who are living in the Black Creek Humber community um, face lower income rates. Um, We often have folks that are newcomers to this population, um, people who are facing language barriers, we're serving a very ethnically, culturally, and linguistically diverse community. So we have many people in our community that are predominantly from the Black African-Caribbean culture, um, Latin-Hispanic, South Asian, um, Southeast Asian. Um, And and really, these are folks that, again, um, we know are dealing with you know, higher rates of chronic health conditions as well, um, unemployment, housing, and, and and so forth. I would say also in in Northwest Toronto, um, you know, we do have a large number of non-insured folks. Um, CHPs are really the only organizations where people who do have non-status are able to get you know healthcare services. So we do have a lot of folks who are um, non-insured, um, people living without OHIP, and they feel, face particular barriers when it comes to accessing care, um, and then ultimately you know, um, may have uh, poorer health outcomes as well.
0: Well, the work that you're doing sounds amazing. I want to jump into your work around the rollout of vaccines in a moment, but first I'd like you guys to take me back to the start of the pandemic and walk me and the listeners through the impact that you've seen on the people in the community that you serve and how your CHC has adapted and worked to meet the local needs of everybody over the past 18 months.
1: Okay, so I'll take this one. Um, so I'd like to start by saying that much of the work in CHCs um, in our local communities is evidence-informed and evidence-based, which means we start from a place of knowing um, or you know what may or may not work with individuals or the groups in the community. So this includes being very deliberate in ensuring representation amongst our staff, as well as continuous learning about the populations we serve. And this has been very um, effective in addressing the um, pandemic as it ran, its, as it's running its course. So at the start of the pandemic in uh, March 2020. Knowing what we know of the population in this community, the barriers faced by those that are non-insured, as Michelle mentioned, that are essential workers, those living in crowded spaces, often with multi-generational family members, with language barriers or linguistic literacy level uh, barriers, not to mention the high prevalence of chronic conditions within uh, the community, all factors which we feared would lead to an increased risk of contracting the virus becoming very sick with the virus, as well as being hospitalized for members of the community we serve. And this was all confirmed by early data that we read and heard about in the US and in the UK, who began to collect social demographic um, data around COVID. And the picture that emerged was really stark. It it showed the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on the poor. And on the racialized, specifically on the Black and the Latin Hispanic communities. So again, folks, the populations that were very uh, in high numbers in our the community served by Black Creek. So we were not surprised when early in the early epidemiolo- epidemiologic uh, data from the City of Toronto showed the high positivity rates in the area that we serve in the northwest area of Toronto, and other areas uh, with similar demographics across the city. The disproportionate positivity rates uh, among racialized groups and those living in low-income circumstances was very real. Um, So, what did we do as a result? I think one of the first actions that we took, uh, especially among the leadership of Black Creek, was along with other Black leaders in our sector, we advocated for the collection of social demographic data, including race-based data among COVID cases that were emerging in the city. Um, And I think at this point, I'd like to also speak a little bit about the fact that we can't speak about the COVID pandemic without mentioning the rise um, in awareness and and how things like racism and discrimination came to light with the pandemic. The first was the anti-Asian sentiments and discrimination against this group due to the messaging about where the virus originated. The second was the rise in awareness of anti-Black racism, when um, the world uh, that was so much more connected through media became aware of the George Floyd murder in the US. Um, And, you know, more recently, the third thing I would uh, sort of highlight is the discovery of the graves of Indigenous children across our country. So, in addition to the COVID-related illnesses and loss of lives, we cannot underestimate the ongoing um, pain and suffering of those dealing with historical racial trauma. And as CHCs, this is, again, part of our work. This work is embedded in the services that we deliver. So for communities like ours, with a large number of Black individuals, we were doubly impacted by these factors, and we continued to we we, we spoke up. Uh, we were not silent, and we advocated within our system leaders to acknowledge the barriers faced by these groups that continuously struggle for equitable, fair, and culturally safe access to services, not only in the community but across other parts of our system. And this work continues and I'm hoping it will continue post-pandemic. And I'm pleased to see some of the strides that are being made across our system through Ontario Health provincially with a new equity framework, Ontario Health, the Toronto region, um, uh, put together an anti-Black and anti-Indigenous racism working group that developed several pillars to address these issues, as well as the Alliance for Healthier Communities that recently refreshed their health, health equity charter because health equity is just, again, the core of our work. So all of our actions from the beginning of the pandemic really was uh, through uh, this equity lens. Um, so specifically, we we worked with our agency partners to address some of the immediate impacts of of COVID-19, such as you know sort of supporting folks with in, income um, security. So for example, many uh, folks did not know how to complete the forms uh, for the access to the SERB benefits. Uh, people needed help with groceries and meals and household items. Uh, you know, so again, working collaboratively with some of our uh, community partners, we were able to expand our partnerships. We were able to make uh, form new partnerships with culturally, um, I would say, appropriate services and uh, food uh, 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 providers. So, for example, with the African Food Basket, who uh, we were able to um, support uh, families with the delivery of fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, that were part of their culture. Um, So, I, you know, and we were able to do this through early funding, um, one-time funding from all levels of government through the city, the province, the federal government, United Way and other foundations. So again, just really making sure that we met the needs, immediate needs, day-to-day needs of people who might have lost jobs, um, who were already living in, as I said, low-income situations. Um, The other thing we did was advocated for accessible testing sites in the community um, in places where it was easy to access by um, walking, so in apartment buildings and churches in the neighbourhood, there were um, uh, walk-in sites, so there there was no need for making an appointment, which was a barrier to many folks in the community. And again, at that time, we also had to work with community members. So we um, recruited community ambassadors or community champions on the ground who were able to help us outreach um, to folks in the community because at the time, uh, many community members did not believe COVID was real. There was lots of misinformation that continues and I'm sure you'll hear a lot more about that um, when we talk about the vaccines. So we had to really Um, put lots of boots on the ground. It wasn't just our core staff, because our core staff were, were also ensuring that the our core services were being delivered because people still needed diabetes care, people still needed counselling, people still needed primary care through their physicians and nurse practitioners. So much of the work that we really reached out into the community and um, worked with the community to help us to reach those that were most mm-hmm. um, harder to reach. Um, Uh, And we continue to use this model um, as we um, work through the vaccination efforts and you'll hear more about that as well later. I think that's it for now.
0: No, that was a perfect segue into my next question, which is of course about um, vaccine rollout. Um, It seems from the start of the pandemic, there was emphasis on access to vaccines as the critical milestone throughout the pandemic, um, where we were really going to be able to start turning the corner into a safer space throughout the pandemic. Michelle, what were your hopes and concerns around how vaccine rollout would work, knowing the clients and the community that you serve?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think as as Cheryl mentioned, um, when COVID first hit, um, there was a lot of mapping that was done across the city of Toronto, and we could see quite clearly that our our communities were being disproportionately hit by COVID. So we were already in a situation where we were standing out in the data when it comes to high COVID rates. Um, as vaccines started rolling out, um, we began to see began looking at uh, vaccination rates across the city. And once again, you know, Northwest Toronto and the Black Peak, Humber area was standing out again. So not only were we dealing with, you know, the highest rates of COVID in the city, we were also dealing with at one point in the beginning of the vaccine rollout, the literally the lowest, the lowest vaccine rates across the, across the city. And again, not at all surprising, uh, given what we know about the community, knowing the, um, the the stigma that this community was already facing when it comes to you know dealing with COVID and, and getting tested and being st- essentially stigmatized as a as a hot zone um, knowing the barriers that our community was facing so I think one of the concerns that we had from the beginning was just ensuring that there was a real like health equity lens when it came to the rollout of vaccines so not so much about having you know vaccines available you know um, blankets you know, in volumes across the city, but ensuring that the communities that really needed it the most and the populations that really needed the most were getting equitable access to vaccines. Um, and in some case, you know, we know in the beginning there was a huge issue with vaccine supply. You know, there was a there was a shortage. Um, you know, we were hearing about people, you know, lining up for hours and hours uh, for, for vaccines in, in communities. And yet, you know, our community was facing, you know, a lack of vaccine and also lack of, spaces and, and lack of um, uh, ways in which people can access the vaccines. So, you know, looking at, you know, how do we um, you know, distribute vaccines equitably in community, uh, how do we ensure that community is engaged in the process of a vaccine rollout, you know, ensuring that, you know, we are, um, you know, listening to community when it comes to where vaccines should be placed, you know, who we should involve you know, how do people want to get information? Those were all of the things that we wanted to make sure um, were part of the, the planning process. Um, I think that, you know, the, the vaccine implementation really gave, um, really was an opportunity for CHCs to take a leadership role. You know, like I think Black Creek and other CHCs in the city um, really were poised um, quite well. You know, CHCs have the Trusted relationship within the community. We have the extensive partnerships across the sectors uh, within our communities. We have that experiencing experience working with a social determinants of health approach, and working from that holistic manner. You know, really again taking that equity lens, um, and, and really having that opportunity to you know work with folks that are living in the communities themselves to really speak to their experience and, and have their experience um, really drive a community led um, response. So I think it was, um, you know, one of the things that we wanted to make sure was that we were working with our partners, working with our community ambassadors to ensure that our communities um, and those specific neighborhoods and those specific populations that needed vaccines were the ones, you know, receiving it first. We had an opportunity to work through the Toronto Sprint strategy to actually, um, you know, Plan and coordinate and lead the coordination of mobile vaccine clinics in Northwest Toronto, and that was such a um, such an important step. The C H C being sort of the, the face of a, a mobile vaccination strategy, um, and it really um, put us in a position where we could really um, have that community-led, community-driven, um, data-informed uh, approach when it came to rolling out vaccines in our community. And ultimately, it, you know, it resulted in you know, we had a huge increase in vaccination rates within the first month of doing mobile clinics. You know, we were able to engage and do clinics in places that people felt safe and comfortable and accessible in. So doing vaccine clinics, door to door in apartment buildings in Toronto community housing buildings and really getting vaccines to where people needed the most. Um, You know, doing vaccines in churches and and mosques, you know, working in in schools and and really working like across all sectors and all partners, um, ensuring that you know, vaccines were getting to the people that that needed it the most. And as Cheryl mentioned about the um, using um, uh, collecting data, collecting that social, uh, social demographic data. So at our clinics, we were collecting that race based data. We were collecting information about the race, uh, language, um, ethnicity. So not only were we, you know, planning vaccines from an equity lens, but really, um, you know, I think setting the stage for using that data in order to you know decrease barriers to access you know reduce um, inequities and, and hopefully improve health outcomes in the long run for those populations
0: that's amazing i even recently had heard um in other news places talking about how uh, black people seem to be the most hesitant and i was asking those questions around is it real hesitancy or is it these barriers that people seem to be so unaware of exist and how It's really amazing how much, you know, your community health center tried to overcome all of those barriers and really help your community.
2: I I was going to say, and that's, I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about here. Like once we saw um, the rates of vaccines go up, as soon as we started doing mobile clinics, you know, that's where, you know, I think that really challenged this narrative that has been put on our community around vaccine hesitancy and, you know, it being a COVID hotspot and and COVID being so linked to personal choice rather Mm -hmm. than, you know, looking at the systemic barriers. And we saw that this wasn't an issue of vaccine hesitancy. It was an issue of access. You know, yes. and this is what happens when you bring vaccine into community. You know, we had thousands of people lining up for hours in the rain and the snow. You know, they weren't leaving. They were ready to get their vaccine. You just needed to bring it to them where they could get to it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um, we're now eight months into the vaccine rollout. Cheryl, what have your experiences been in terms of obstacles and successes within the communities and clients that you serve? And of course, if you could describe the role that Black Creek has played in terms of outreach vaccine clinics um, and other vaccine uptake efforts. Though you did. You did do a great job in covering this a bit already.
1: I'm going to start with the successes, because I really think that we've seen tremendous successes um, just in terms of even our perfect. I would say personal and professional growth in how much we've actually learned about our community that we serve. And I think that is to the to, to everyone's benefit. It's a benefit to the organization as well as to the community because we are now, I think, poised to deliver even more effective um, services uh, to the community members. So because of that early engagement and that sustained engagement with community residents, community partners, as Michelle mentioned, you know, we, we now have our c h c in a way has overflowed into the community we've we've been able to grow beyond our walls if you will i mean while we have multiple sites you know the expectation sometimes is that people will come to us for services, but we've really been going to where people are at we've been really meeting people where they're at in in their journey along this pandemic so I think you know we've just ex- been able to expand our partnerships um, especially diversity of partnerships we've worked in our vaccine rollout we've worked closely with um, the vietnamese community the latin and hispanic community the muslim community and the black community so you know and we we've taken from them we've worked alongside them it wasn't you know just black Creek doing this work it was working with these partners hand in hand and and I think these engagements really helped us to address those challenges of vaccine hesitancy and lack of confidence in not only the vaccine itself and worrying about, you know, this vaccine was developed too quickly, uh, we're not really sure, you know, we, we we trust it, but also the lack of trust in a system. So by, by working with, with our community partners, by really engaging with community members, I think we really, Um, uh, We were able to to have discussions, authentic discussions. We I'll talk about our partnership with the Jamaican Canadian Association, for example, where we've done several um, vaccination clinics and these clinics were planned so that people felt safe. We ensured that in partnership with the Black Physicians Association of Ontario, our vaccinators were black. Our community ambassadors from the community were black. So there was a presence of of individuals who many of our community members don't often see as care uh, uh, clinical providers, simply because there's not, I guess, a large number within our, our hospital systems and other healthcare delivery systems. So we were very deliberate in engaging with the black community of Both providers and community folks, community ambassadors, and created a safe space for the vaccinations. So people came out. We, I think, through our efforts, in total, we might have vaccinated over 5,000 individuals from the Black community. And you know, we we saw some of the social media posts. You know, where people said things like. I've never seen I've never experienced this in my healthcare journey in Canada before. I had a black vaccinator who, you know, eased my fears, who I felt comfortable speaking to. I was able to, you know, after I got vaccinated, I got a patty and 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 soup. And, you know, so what we did was created an environment that made it very comfortable for people. And I'm not saying that this is something that it's, you know, that should be replicated everywhere, but we really took the cues from our community and we worked with community partners could that could really bring that representation and that reflection of the people that we serve and similarly we did it with the Latinx community with the Vietnamese community and I think it's that deliberate um, attempt to make people feel safe in their care um, through you know providing them with the care providers as well as um, individuals who really look like them at all levels of leadership all the way through their uh, the, the, the direct service that they're um, uh that they're receiving so and that's something i hope that we can continue with with across all um, areas of our care not just in our COVID response Um, however um, i do see that it may be a challenge so i'll just talk a little bit about the challenge i think you know, challenges are sustaining partnerships and engagement with community post-pandemic may be not as easy as we think, simply because of the way we're funded, Uh, you know, we're funded by, you know, for certain positions um, and uh, we are funded for certain targets, performance expectations. And I think there's just not an um, there's not enough emphasis on the relationship building that needs to happen we 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 need more staff core staff that's funded to really work on engagement and and building relationships across all sectors of our, our care delivery whether it's healthcare care or social services because they're so intertwined um so i hope that you know i think t- to you know, to really overcome some of the challenges we see now within certain communities, um, it, we need you know more sustained um, uh, supports and resources to carry on some of um, the learnings that we've we've had throughout COVID. Um, and I'll stop there and just turn it over to Michelle to add uh, more.
2: Yeah, Um, I think when we're looking at sort of the the long term impact of communities, uh, COVID on communities, you know, I, I think, you know, I would definitely be wanting to look at, you know, some of the opportunities for how policy affects our communities, right. So knowing that, you know, like looking at COVID and seeing how many folks are, are essential workers. You know, and how do we, you know, look at things like basic income, you know, to help provide them, you know, with with something more sustainable in the long run? Uh, we know that people were not able to take time off work because of COVID, so these are folks that are living without, you know, sick benefits. You know, basic things that would basically allow them to stay home and be, and be safe. Um, We saw a lot of the um, emergency supports that were, you know, the government was able to put in place, like CERB and and other financial support. So we know that those things are possible. And we saw that those made a real difference in in the lives of the communities that we that we were supporting during that time. So, you know, looking at, you know, in the long term and and what can help support our, our communities, you know, like there there needs to be, you know, you know supports from the government that that address the systemic barriers that are that are leading to these health inequities in the first place. And that'll go a long way in helping to improve the health of of everyone.
0: i It really stuck with me, um Cheryl, what you said as well about you know the the representation and how important that is to make people feel safe. And I was just thinking that I've never um, if anyone's listening who cannot see me, I am a woman of color. I've never been treated by. Uh, a black person black physician had an, a vaccine given to me by a black person so i can't imagine how important that must be to someone who is you know questioning the legitimacy of it all and so afraid of of how all of this is panning out so that that's such a crucial thing that i i think a lot of people might uh, overlook Um, I'll ask you both this um, final question. What do you both think that the experiences over the last 18 months say about the ability of Black Creek Community Health Center to adapt to emerging social and political health issues and the importance of CHCs within our health and social service systems? Michelle, if you want to go first.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as, as we've mentioned, this has been such a time of, of learning and, and growth for our for our organization. Um, I think we've had to really hit the ground running and be very, very um, adaptive and flexible and, and meet the needs of community. I think what's great about CHCs is that we are so embedded in community. You know, this is a model that truly is poised to provide that wraparound, um, holistic approach to, to people who who need those supports the most. And, and really, really working from a social determinants of health um, approach, I think COVID was something that just, you know, really um, showed, you know, what can happen uh, from a social determinants of health perspective for for people. People were being affected across the board, um, financially, um, you know, social-wise, you know, social inclusion, um, you know, their ability to, you know, obviously be be healthy and maintain good health. Um, and I think CTs are really, you know, that that that's really their wheelhouse. You know, is, is to work from that, from work from that approach, and really have that that community led, community based perspective. Um, again, I think you know, um, looking at the communities that we serve, um, you know, each CHC is unique in the way they they you know develop their programs and, and needs. But um, I think that we're very well very well poised to continue to meet the evolving needs of our, our community because we are so responsive and we are very much community led and community driven.
1: Cheryl? Um, so, what I will add to um, what Michelle has already said is um, I think, the, you know, the, the, the words that stick in my mind are think, just our nimbleness and our flexibility. Um, and I think Michelle touched on this as well. It's just our ability to be able to pivot very quickly because we do know uh, and we're closely um, aligned and, and engaged with our communities. So, for COVID, we were able to continue our core services. We were able to continue primary care, but at the same time, we were able to add on and 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 pivot in a way to to meet the real needs that were emerging and that we didn't know about. Um, but we we had good guesses because we are so in tune with the community. Um, so I think you know. This is such an important thing for community-based organizations and an important role for us as CHCs because we saw the devastation and the the burden on our hospital system because our hospital systems were ready for, um, for COVID cases, however, what What would it look like if in the if we were more uh, there were more of us around and we were able to really stem that tide and keep people well and they were able to to live a little more health healthily health, healthful in their homes and in the community um because again that's who we are we we are in the business of keeping people well and helping them to manage their conditions at home and not having that burden on our emergency um, emergency rooms and and you know decreasing stays in hospitals so it just makes so much good sense for both individual health community health as well as economic sense really for community health centers to be that place that go to to respond to not only um, emergent needs as like a pandemic but just overall health needs um, And I think other than that, I think what the other piece that struck me throughout the the last 18 months too is just that importance of community governance. I know that our board was very engaged throughout the pandemic, despite the, you know, so sort of having to shift to virtual meetings, but they were involved in critical decisions around the impact of the pandemic on the community we served. And because they knew the community and they saw that disproportionate impact, um, they were, you know, they, were, they wanted to, they wrote letters, I guess, to our decision maker, our politicians around, for example, the disproportionate impact of the children who were um, children in low-income environments uh, and the impact of prolonged school closures on, on and online learning on children in this community because they understood that many of these children faced multiple barriers compared to those from more affluent neighborhoods. For example, you know, in the affluent neighborhoods, parents probably had the luxury of working from home had some help from from others that they could pay for they could hire tutors but children in communities like this where they're dealing parents are dealing with having to work multiple jobs they couldn't stay home from work parents were you know again living in low income situations and could not support their children as well. Um, so, with all the devices and the stable internet, so um, I think you know having board members being in tune uh, with those issues really, I really appreciate it. So, I think it's this is this is our uh, what the C, the essence of the CHC model is. We're looking at the totality of those um, social determinants of health. You know, the impact of you know lack of good education on Employment and et cetera, et cetera, all of that impacting people's access to to healthcare. So, just we can go on for a long time, but I know that uh, <laughs> you know we have to finish. Of course.
0: Well, I mean, you you encapsulated that perfectly. The the business of making people better a health business it's so important um I want to thank you both Cheryl and Michelle for taking the time today to speak with me and thank you both for the amazing work you're doing with Black Creek um if people wanted to find more information about Black Creek Community Health Center uh, or in the work that you're doing where uh would they go look
2: for sure. They can check out our website, so www.bcchc.com. Uh, we're also on social media. We have our channels on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and Facebook, so Black Creek CHC, and we also have a YouTube channel as well.
0: Perfect. Thank you both so much. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. for listening to Community Matters, a podcast from the Canadian Association of Community Health Centres. To learn more about our association and the important work of community health centres across Canada, go to www.cachc.ca.